boop. What is today? The twenty Thursday. 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 Twenty yeah. fifth. Wow. June twenty fifth. After all this time. Man. Feels like <laughs> four days past the summer solstice. True. That's a that's a cool holiday. I mean, it's kind of been around forever too. Yeah. Summer solstice. Did yeah, it's you, interesting. Uh, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's interesting that that like even a long time ago people picked up on like what the longest day of the year was. Yeah, I, I was talking with my mom about that the other day. I was like, yeah, it's kind of been figured out since humans have been around. You yeah. Know? It, it's something that's been celebrated. That and the winter solstice. Yeah. People are like, hey, lots of sunlight. Let's throw a party. Or lots of darkness. <laughs> let's sit in the dark. <laughs> yeah, let's sit in the dark. Did you did you see that movie? I don't know. You don't really like horror movies, do you? I I have not watched many. No. Yeah, there's one called Midsummer, and it's like about a midsummer festival gone uh, awry. Not but, not like that other movie. Some uh, there's some movie about a festival going awry that was supposed to be funny that someone told me to watch. Oh, uh, is that the fire festival? Like yeah, the documentary? No, no, not not the jar. No, not the fire festival. Some something else. I can't remember what it was, but with Ja Rule. With Ja Rule. That was him, right? I think. Yeah, so. that was Ja Rule. Yeah, yeah he got ja booed. Rule. That's why he got booed at the NBA All Star game because everybody <laughs> like everybody was fire mad festival. at him for fire festival, even though none of the people went to fire festival. I'm like, I don't know why you're mad. Like, he's an idiot, but like, they didn't swindle you out of money. Yeah. Whatever. People just love any excuse they can to jump on the bandwagon. You know how I feel about booing. So. Oh, yeah. You love a good booing. <laughs> Jeez, you wouldn't do well as a pro athlete. No, I don't think if you, I would. If you I, just came, I might have gotten used to it, though. You came up to the you plate know. and you just had the whole place boo. That must be a little yeah. like, like, you know, I they do a lot to like take it out of their heads, but it must be a little demoralizing. Like just, you know, yeah, they get, yeah, you totally get used to it. And like with free throws and stuff, they like practice it, but there, I feel like there is like, it definitely has somewhat of a factor when you think about, you know, how home crowds can influence games. Like statistically home teams do a little bit better. Like, Oh yeah, definitely. And I think, I think where it really hits the athletes though, is when they see someone famous in the crowd that yeah. they, they like or idolize or something. And yeah. when that person's booing you, that yeah. probably feels pretty bad. Yeah. Especially at basketball games when they're right next to you. I, I mean, it's kind of – you don't really see too much of the the fans in baseball, I guess. Yeah, they're a little farther away. There's nets yeah. at the, at the really good they're behind you. Yeah. yeah, they're behind you. I guess for the pitchers, they can see them, but that's pretty far away. Cause but yeah, but you're not right there. Like, yeah. like you could be inches for like the yeah, distance from me to my computer screen, like to some a guy dude, like on an inbound. Some famous dude's booing you like Jack Nicholson's. Like, yeah, exactly. You're a big Nicholson fan. He's just boo. Or Spike yeah, Lee. That's got to be rough. Yeah, I feel like people like when Spike Lee boo them. Uh, boo them though. Yeah, they so just laugh at him. Go snap back at him and roast and, and, him. Yeah, and they're probably just shipwrecking the Knicks. Or Drake, like Drake's yeah. just you know, Drake's Drake. Drake has one of the most punchable faces of all time. Yeah, yeah. For Drake, yeah. For Drake and Spike Lee, they they like they like making fun of them. Like that's just they're like excited to they're they're almost more motivated so they they can make fun of them. Mm-hmm. But if if you're there and like Beyonce is booing you, you're like yeah, oh, yeah. Or Matthew McConaughey. 
Yeah, Dude, that would be that would be crushing to me. I love <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. I was taking a free throw, and Matthew McConaughey is sitting there, double thumbs down. Boo. Oh man, who that would not be? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh man, who would crush me? What would be my celebrity that I just wouldn't be able to? Oh, there's a bunch for me. Yeah, but I think Matthew McConaughey just like you couldn't you couldn't try to roast him back or anything. I yeah. feel like with most celebrities, I've, I'd, I'd probably be able to come up with some sort of counter. But Matthew McConaughey is like one of the smoothest dudes in Hollywood. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I feel yeah. like if it was some baseball player, you'd be. Like if it was, uh, what's his name? The guy you love on the Yankees. Who, Mariano Rivera? Yeah, Mariano Rivera. Yeah, that would get me. That guy was booing you. He was just booing. He was like your childhood idol. Yeah. That's true. Or if you're up at bat or whatever. Yeah. Turnover. There's Mariano Rivera booing you. Crush, yeah. Crushing. Absolutely crushing. What do you think uh, is going to wind up with this whole coronavirus thing? It's kind of reaching a second spike, I feel, or at least trending towards it. Yeah. At least uh, in a lot of states. Yeah. The, I mean, it's interesting because it's a lot, of the, a lot of the states that didn't have a first spike, you know? And so... Mm-hmm. I, you know, part of me thinks it's like there was a set of the of a of vulnerable of a vulnerable population that got hit with that first spike that like it absolutely wreaked havoc on. And I'm not saying you know not not trying to make like a a claim whether or not this is like right or wrong or like I'm just you know laying out what it what it is that went on and it sort of almost stands to reason that as they not reason but like in general they've seen similar trends in China to Italy to England to the you know urban united states and now it's starting to get to the more spread out united states and they are still seeing that like if if somebody infected comes near a nursing home it has the potential to wipe out like half the nursing home like that's that hasn't really that hasn't really changed so what i don't know what i think is going to happen is you know more I, like some more folks are going to die it is true that like treatments have gotten better if you look at the chart you can see that like the deaths are are the cases are rising, but the deaths aren't like in the beginning. The deaths and the cases rose together, not at a one to one, but it kind of looked like it, like they rose at the same rate. Um, and now that's not. If you look at the chart, it's it's the deaths are rising slower than the cases, and that's partly because they've actually come up with a couple of decent treatments for the really ill people. So it's going to be another spike, but I don't think it's going to like. I don't think it's going to get as deadly or as overwhelming as it did in the beginning not to say that it doesn't suck for all the people who lose people right we've definitely gotten a grasp on how to treat it mm. in in the worst case scenarios yep because like like the first spike you know the majority of people aren't getting bad symptoms yeah and it's, it's that that edge case where people are really having the severe respiratory problems yeah but like you said it seems that the science has progressed in the what four four months so far, yeah. And they've kind of got a, a system in place of the steps to take and how to treat it and how to mitigate the symptoms, yeah. And how to get these people, you know, on the road to recovery, as opposed to before when everyone was kind of panicking, cases were at an all time high, hospitals and the healthcare system was kind of overwhelmed, yeah. So I definitely think that we're much 
better equipped to handle this second wave. Yep. Both in terms of that physical physical machines or the physical hospital space. Yep. And the manpower there, like the healthcare workers. Yeah. As well as the fact that in we we know the different techniques and how it manifests itself a bit better. I do think though that a lot of the governors and stuff are basically going back and and implementing the same measures that they did for the first wave though, which I think is going to be a mistake in the long run. What do you mean? Like, What's because what? I think because they're, they just started doing the quarantine thing in the tri-state area again, like the yeah. 14 day quarantine. Yeah. The, 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 I understand it, but the, the problem I have with it is if you just have each like groups of states putting in these policies at different times, there's always going to, it's always going to be staggered, you know? So there's going to be a, some leaders of the states that are, are putting into the, putting these more strict policies and mm. then they're going to see reductions, but other states aren't going to do that. And we're just going to keep on be, keep on playing catch up. It's going to bounce back and forth between the states. I think that either we got to go all in or nothing because, um, because travel is so prominent now. It's not like people aren't traveling across the country still. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily agree. Like to me, to me, it's like, I, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Like in the sense that, you know, some places, some places got very few cases in the beginning and they were closed up. And to me, those places shouldn't have closed up or maybe they should have, but like, I don't know if like, I don't know if California and Connecticut should be necessarily doing the same thing. I don't know if there's enough geographic crossover there to make it like, like they could just be in different situations and thus it warrants different policies. And like what the tri-state area did made sense to me because it was like, they, you know, their whole thing was, oh, if you're in a place that meets this certain data, like this certain criteria, then you can't, you know, then you, then you should be quarantining yourself if you come from a place that meets a certain data point, you know? Um, and so I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I like, if, if, if in Maine, nobody has any cases and it hasn't risen in a few weeks, like I could see how it would make sense to just have a policy of we can stay open, but if you're going to come from a place like 2000 miles away in Arizona, like you got to be careful. Cause there's a lot, you know, we like, I don't know to me that, that actually kind of makes sense. I, I don't know though, because once, once things start opening up again, there, there's going to be another spike. That's just how things go. Like the, the reason things are spiking now is, is kind of a three. The way I see it is three different things. You got, People going to the protests, that's definitely a huge vector of transmission. You've got, and I think the other major ones are the reopening of bars and restaurants. Yeah. Obviously, in the case of bars, especially, alcohol is playing a huge problem in that. Yeah. Because at a restaurant, I feel, for the most part, you can do a pretty decent job of social distancing. Outdoor dining. Yeah, outdoor dining keeping things uh, sanitized, yeah, stuff like that. But at a bar, I think that's just bad news all around. Yeah. The levels of sanitation there, not even close to a restaurant. Yeah, People are pouring drinks all night. Like those glasses, 
I mean, I'm sure they spray them down. I don't, I don't run Patty's pub, but yeah, I'm sure there's some sort of policy of cleaning stuff off and yeah, and keeping things uh, like sterilized and stuff. Yeah, but still, when alcohol gets involved in anything, things are gonna get messy. People make stupid judgments. Yeah, and overall, people when they're in those sort of settings are usually much more handsy, touchy feely, and are getting closer to each other. So that's probably vector number one of transmission. And I think that that was the huge biggest problem was reopening stuff like that. And that was a problem in the beginning was not closing that stuff down early enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. I totally Um, agree. Yeah. I, I, I think it should be like the approach and maybe, maybe the approach would be now that I mentioned like, yeah, maybe a nationwide, like, gatherings of 50 or 15 or 30 or more people like that that's a big kicker is like these large gatherings and like like what we saw at the protests or what you know that's real bad news like that like they say that in italy the real like the thing that just sort of set off the bomb was like one of the last soccer matches that they allowed people in that like it infected you know like half the stadium or something that's that's sort of what they're saying is like these these large crowds and these kind of close environments are really the really the kickers as opposed to like you know other stuff like going to the park going to the you know doing playing different, golf yeah yeah like you know not seeing twenty five people in a confined space exactly I think you're spot on and I agree with you I kind of adjust my stance from before I think that they're I think there should be kind of like a na- more national, uh, I don't know, plan going on. Just because, like I mentioned before, I feel like it's just always going to be a game of catch up where the states that Im- implement the more strict measures are going to recover sooner. Then they're going to open back up. Then they're going to get more cases. And then people are going to come into that state from other states because the restrictions are lifted and there's more stuff to do. And then they're going to bring it, bring it again. So I think there needs to be a more standardized kind of not lockdown, but kind of rule set of rules. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a a failure of the the federal government being really dumb Uh, across the board. I'm not, I I don't want to take a partisan. I have sort of let go of the idea that either, either side of it has conducted themselves in it productive way no, uh, because you got one side trying to pander to the bible bash bible bashers taking photo ops while <laughs> inciting a riot and then on the other side you have the people pretending like protests aren't the one of the biggest vectors for the, the coronavirus yeah so, that that was one of the most shocking things i saw is whether it was the who or the i think it was the who uh i don't think it was the cdc but they said that basically, they basically greenlit the pro- going to protests, and I understand. Like you can't, you're not trying to restrict people's freedom of doing what they want, but yeah. still, that shouldn't be coming from the the organization that we're trusting to to be warning us and guiding us with the hard science and the hard facts. Yeah, like it, like if you like as groups, if if these organizations. And these people organizing these protests wanted to say, this is at your own risk, but we firmly believe that this is so important that 
we're willing to run the risk because we truly believe this cause is important. And like, that's, that's fair to me. Like you're allowed, like you can say that and, and go protest. Like if you acknowledge the risk and acknowledge, but then just, you know, make the claim that you're, you know, that your cause is more important. That's fine. Like, like, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I disagree or disagree, but I, I don't disagree with the, with that type of procedure. Um, what I do disagree with though, is I don't think that, scientific organizations oh, should totally. have anything to do with politics. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a real travesty of the system is that you've seen political agendas leak into something as that should be as nonpartisan as the CDC or the who. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, that's definitely been kind of messy. It's been disappointing how much people are just try to ignore science. It's a, uh... And that's, it's another thing is like some of these measures that they're implementing, I think, especially towards the beginning of this whole outbreak. And I, I feel like there's going to be more kind of nonsensical rules and measures put in as opposed to looking at the, the facts and weighing the numbers to the risk. Because mm. I think we mentioned it before a couple episodes ago, there, there's a point where you have to take into take into consideration the effect it's going to, the long lasting effect it's going to have on the economy and yeah. whether that's worth, you know, when you think about it, the super small number of very severe cases and yeah, it's terrible that people are dying. But when you look at the numbers, you have to be objective about it. Just yeah. like we're objective about, I think you mentioned driving a car or, yeah. you know, riding a roller coaster. You, you do have to, at some point, distance yourself from the emotional aspect of it and just look at hey here's the numbers this is what's going to happen if we do this this is mm -hmm. what's going to happen if we do that and make your decision on that the the fact is people die every day from all sorts of stuff but you gotta we live on anyway you know yeah people and, and drive I, their cars to work people take public transit people fly on planes and I and I totally agree with the idea, and I, I and some things I've heard kind of political commentators say, and like people who kind of weigh like to weigh in on this is you sort of, you know, people, you know, emotion is a really powerful tool for the news media to 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 rile people up, but when you and like and if and when you sit down to like to debate somebody, sometimes an effective way to go about it is like, you know, do you want to have a conversation about the emotions and about like the, the tragedy of what goes on? Like that's fair. But if we want to sit down and actually discuss a plan to get out of the, like you really, you I agree that you really, you need to not leave the motion, lead, leave emotions aside, but like you, you can't, it's not a it's not a way it's you, you need to acknowledge that that's not a productive way to make decisions that if you're just going by the emotions you know the human brain is full of bias and full of false you know full of recency bias and all of these cognitive elements that come in that make it so that if we're making a decision based on emotions we've documented psychologically that in general it could be counterproductive to what we're trying to accomplish especially self-preservation because yeah. think about all, most of these policymakers too. They're old, unhealthy people. Yeah. So they're going to put into place these measures that may not be the best for the entirety of the country because they're looking out for their own asses. Yeah. That's true. Yep. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with sports 
because some people are some athletes are testing positive for the virus and i think that's just because they're testing them so much like i think that has a lot to do with it um and i know some i know avery bradley said he wasn't going to come back and play um which is because his son had a respiratory illness which i was you know thought that was fair Um, yeah i i totally think that athletes should get to choose whether or not they want to participate. There shouldn't be any repercussions. I mean, you do have to take into account though, there has to be some sort of monetary repercussion. If you're going to sit out, like you can't expect to get paid the money that you were promised at the beginning of the season. If you decide to sit out. And I think that's only fair. If you're not doing your job, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get paid for that portion of not doing your job. I'm not saying, I guess, that their contract is void because that would be ridiculous. But I think there should be some sort of, you know, cut to. I don't think I agree with that. Uh, And here's uh, because if a guy gets hurt, they still get paid. And if, if it's in the case of Avery Bradley, where it's literally like, you know, and like people are allowed to take family leave, like, if it's in that case, I sort of, like if Avery Bradley has a son with with a you know a history of respiratory illness, I sort of see that as more like family leave, like I, because they still get paid if the you know the I mean I, I believe the the NBA has guaranteed money. I know in baseball they do. Like guys get hurt, guys go on leave, they they get paid. Um, and like because it wasn't negotiated, because the the NBA didn't have this whole preseason negotiation like the MLB, like. To me, it just seems like it should be, it should be, it should kind of go on like an injured list situation. That's sort of how I'm looking at it, and that they shouldn't be, you know, it should it should be looked at as the same as if they got hurt for the rest of the season. I guess what it comes down to for me is I don't agree with the fact that they should get paid the full contract if they get injured. I mean, yeah, that's fair. If you don't think that in general guys who are who sit out the whole season deserve their guaranteed money, then yeah, that's. Yeah. That's totally. I, I think I, I think it's more so because of the scale that this monetary compensation is at. Too, mm-hmm. if if you're working a job and you're making sixty thousand dollars a year, it's completely different than if you're on a multi-million, maybe tens of million dollar contract. Yeah, and I think I think in that case, when when the there's such a huge disparity there i don't know i feel like if you you do sit out whether it's due to injury vacation family leave whatever i do think you should get you know lose part of that guaranteed money but that's my personal opinion and yeah also that's that's on the fault of whoever the the people on the team side that negotiated the collective agreement so yeah those are all that's all cba stuff yeah so makes all that i mean you made a deal there but i guess yeah. just in in general i I don't believe in that players should get paid their full amount if they get injured. I guess the, well, I guess the, although the reason, like, I understand what you're saying, but the reason those were negotiated is to like, you know, for those football players who get concussions for them to actually say, like for them to be willing to say, Oh, it's like those were in there to protect the players. Right. Like that, that wasn't in there to, for the players to try and, jip the leagues out of as much money as possible it's like so a guy doesn't try to play on a torn you know ligament or whatever and destroy his knee or like i mean the concussion is the best example of like somebody just you know severely concussed oh hold on i can't lose my money i gotta keep playing and like you know kills himself or or like boxers who and and boxers actually do that anyway i think a guy died last year because he like 
everybody was telling him he needed to forfeit the fight and he wouldn't. And then he got brain damage and died, um, which was sad, but like, I think they wanted, I think some, some of the, some of the motivation behind that is to prevent things like that from going on. Yeah, that's, that's true. I didn't really think of that. The The problem though still is with the, just the amount of money. I, I, I understand it more so with the players that don't get paid as much, but I don't mm-hmm. think Kyrie Irving should be making $30 million for sitting out the entire season. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a different. It's, it's so, and, and I guess what needs to go on there then is just that they rewrite certain clauses, I guess. Yeah. Basically saying if you have this sort of injury or this is how it came about, because I totally agree with you. There's tons of players out there that would fight through the injury in potentially dangerous situations. And yeah create a situation where they're at risk of permanently damaging themselves and affecting the rest of their life just because they're looking out for their financial well-being. Yeah. Especially in a uh, industry where so health dependent and volatile as sports. Yeah. But I guess once you, at least personally for me, once you get to that scale and that volume of money, things need to change because it's just, it's too much. And it's not like, it it's affecting your your livelihood in the sense of you won't be able to f- put food on the table. It's you won't be able to buy the newest Rolls Royce that year. Yeah, when it's that level of money. No, I agree. I think that- it's dependent on sports as well, like you were mentioning. Like yeah, the, in football, that should be it. It must be taken into, into account much more than something like baseball, where yeah, career-ending injuries are not nearly as common. Or I, I guess. Not career-ending, but life-threatening. Or yeah, I was gonna say life that, like, uh, you know, quality of life-threatening. Yeah, um, and life-threatening. You can get, you can sever your spine playing football pretty easily. It happens to yeah. a lot of folks. It's no good. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with the idea that um, that some of these top earn, like I, like I understand where you're coming from of like watching these top earners be like, oh, I want to sit out. Just like it kind of seems like Kyrie wants to sit out because he wants to collect his money. Like, it doesn't seem like, like, it, like I don't know, to me, just because Kyrie's weird, like, it doesn't seem like it's it's coming completely from a genuine place of concern or anything. Like, it, it would just be easier for him not to play. It would just benefit him not to play and collect all the money. Of course he would do that. Like, like when you look at it from a stance of, of Kyrie Irving, like, I see, I totally see where you're coming from. And like, maybe, and maybe, and maybe the solution is, you know, and I was a little annoyed at this, at the beginning of the baseball negotiations and, and it made uh, and the players union sort of quashed uh, any rumors of this going around. But then Trevor Bauer, who's a really outspoken player um, who doesn't make a ton of money, but makes okay money um, kind of called out the players association without calling them out. So essentially the top 10 earners in baseball all are negotiated by the same agent, Scott Boris Um and the ownership came out with this. They rolled out that one of their first plans was a sliding scale of income decreases. So like, um, so, so everybody earning less than a million dollars was going to get almost all their salary, which is like 65% of the league. And then like going up from there, like, you know, the $10 million people would get, um, would get 80% and so on. And then the third to the point where you got the, anybody over 30 million got like a, got like a 50% pay cut. And 
all of the players said, oh, absolutely not. But it wasn't really all of the players. It was all of the high earners who said, who were clients of Scott Boris and also on the executives of the players committee saying, oh, no, that's not acceptable. Even though more the majority of the players union may have actually agreed that like, that's not a bad idea. Oh, that's pretty scummy. Yeah. And, and like Scott Boris like got involved and was like talking to some of his young players who are like low earners who he thinks are going to be high earners in the future. And like, like Scott Boris is an agent and he was like, people were kind of yelling at him for interfering with the players and owner negotiation. Yeah. I don't think that's right. I think that's, that was a huge opportunity for the highest earners in the MLB to look out for the rest of their league. And they, that's a botch job. Yeah. Well, well, I mean the, the whole, the whole thing with that negotiation is a complete, complete botch job from top to bottom on all sides. Um, You know, the owners were a bit greedy. The players were greedy. The players made a stupid decision. They they essentially they were like they were literally disagreeing about four base like playing four baseball games. They were like that's how close their proposals were, and like that's not that many. That's like a Out few hundred, like a hundred fifty. They typically play. Yeah, in a, in a regular year. Yeah, like they were arguing about four games, and the players essentially rejected it so that they could maintain their ability to file a grievance next year, like. It, but like in reality, the owners are actually giving them a pretty good deal. Otherwise, it really it was it was kind of kind of nonsense what uh what went on what went on there. And like the the unfortunate thing is like if they could have done it behind closed doors and they weren't like trying to play public opinion off each other, like that's the problem is that they kept leaking proposals to try and to try and like the owners kept trying to make the players look bad in front of the public, and the players were doing the like the opposite. If they had just like went behind closed doors and banged it out, like, and and come back on July fourth, like, because that they could have, like, they had the health and safety protocol a month ago, so they could have come back, like, at the beginning of July, and had been the only sport on the the only major North American sport on the airwaves for a month, and not had this PR nightmare that was this this negotiation, and they just they completely completely blew it, and like people would have. You know, people would have been. People were already excited about baseball this season. A lot of interesting storylines. The Astros thing actually kind of good for baseball because it's not like they weren't being criminal. They just cheated. You know, so like, you know, it's like so it was just interesting because people wanted to watch the Astros lose and the Yankees had signed a new pitchers. The Dodgers got Mookie Betts. The Mets were looking good. Like the big market teams were, you know, here. But also the Rays were good. It was set up to be like a great season, and they just. Now everybody has a bad taste in their mouth because the negotiations were so bitter. Yeah, what a shame. It's a shame. They would have been the first back too, I guess, yeah. other than soccer, right? Yeah. Well, they could have come back on the fourth. They would have, I mean, other than international soccer, but like Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Like they would have yeah, they could have been. But when are they the, coming back now? The twenty fourth of July. So, so still earlier than uh, they're NBA. gonna Yeah, they'll be ahead of the NBA, but it's just that that would have been a huge what three weeks though? Yeah, I mean, I mean they could have they could have been that that would, the viewership would have gone up so much. And the thing is, like a shortened season makes all of the games that like high leverage because this is the thing with baseball is like what's interesting is high leverage games and like that's what people like to watch. And so a seventy game season is high leverage almost every game as opposed to one hundred sixty two games where like five or ten games could go by your team could lose all of them and like still be totally in it, you know. Um, Do you think in the long run that they'll shorten the season now? 
I'd be really interested to see what happens. They, you know, do you it w- think it would personally? Do you think it would be best for baseball in terms of keeping it relevant and attracting uh, a fan base, like from people that don't typically watch it? Because, like you said, I mean, there's been a couple games I feel like that I've watched with you when you've kind of given me the background story, like, oh, this is a high stakes game, and they're yeah. definitely more exciting than the the ones that drone on you can definitely you can definitely feel as a casual like i am you know someone who doesn't watch baseball at all yeah essentially when the the stakes are higher and yeah it it does it does make it a much more interesting sport even from someone who doesn't find it particularly fun to watch yeah i was thinking about that earlier today i wasn't sure how because i like watching baseball but it's true that like the more games you have the the less each one matters and to have every you know more games matter might just bring in that much more excitement to the to the game. I don't know. I think six a sixty game regular season like from the jump the games like teams have to play well. The games are going to be intense. It's going to be you know. Um, so I, I mean I I think it, it's a there's a potential if people really like it there's a chance they should start shortening it. Yeah, I agree that that, that or I think that that could be a possibility. How about um, from an injury standpoint as well? Because I feel like a lot of the injuries uh, tend to happen to the pitchers just because of overuse, right? That's a lot of it, yeah. Um, it is definitely an overuse problem with those elbows. Um, and, yeah, just the amount – and uh, and players. I mean, everybody – it's actually interesting because everybody, like, statistically, the two weeks after the All-Star break, everyone in baseball just plays worse. Like – like the the last two weeks of July is just known that nobody plays good baseball, like it just doesn't happen, um, because a lot of guys get hurt and like a hundred games into the season, like people are tired and like it's it's tough to play. Literally, they play every day. Like, I, I it would be interesting to see if they if they moved away from the playing every day model and like more like an NBA where you're once every two days. Um, I don't know. It would, it would also be an interesting economic question because, like, does it make more money to be on the airwaves every day? Um, and like, if nobody's watching it, no. Like, like you'd rather sixty games that have a bunch. You know, that would just be clearly just a ratio of, you know, what goes on. But this season's a perfect time to experiment with it. They're they're trying another new rule too. Um, in extra innings, they're going to start with a guy on second base for each team. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So like, so an extra inning game, like it's still exciting, but it, like, it's a little bit less likely to get like a 14 inning or a 20 inning two to one game where nothing happens. And it's sort of, you know. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. The, the baseball hardos are mad about it, but like, (laughs) I'm so tired of the The baseball baseball hardos hardos are about to be in the ground six feet under in the next five years. The baseball hardos drive me nuts. They man, they, and that's been the biggest problem is the baseball appearance. It's all these keyboard hero old yeah, dudes. That's not who, baseball. Who remember how it was? And like, <laughs> oh my god! Be- because dudes aren't you know taking packing giant lips of tobacco and like being, I don't know, obnoxious to everyone. Like, it's not baseball. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's the like you said those those hardos, those purists that are really holding it back from becoming more mainstream popular too. Cause, Cause we were talking the other day, me, you and T 
about how there's not really any baseball superstars. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with the fact that the players kind of get criticized for showing any sort of emotion or yeah. personality. And yeah. it's, it's by that group, those baseball purists, that's definitely yeah. holding it back from, you know, becoming more of a dramatic thing as yeah. other leagues have gone towards. Like the NBA is basically a drama show. It is. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, when the games aren't being played and when the games are being played. Yeah, last year's playoffs, that was a drama show. Oh, my God. Those are fun, though. Yeah, exactly. It works. And I think baseball definitely needs a couple of uh, big personalities. to Ex- Expanded to playoffs is going to help them, I think, because they also expand the playoffs. Oh, that's good. Um, that'll increase the high leverage situations. Like, that'll be... You know, you can start getting some big moments for some of these young guys. That's kind of the thing. And it's kind of, you know, just part of the problem with baseball is like, it's not like basketball where the best player can take the last shot. Like you don't necessarily know who's coming up at the end of the game. You know, it's like there are a lot of the, a lot of the big moments recently haven't been like, it's, you know, it's been intent. Like, I just think of the guys, it's not, it's not the the main superstars Mookie Betts hasn't hit the big playoff home run Aaron Judge hasn't hit the big playoff home run like it's you know Dexter Fowler and the the dude at the on the Nats and like Christian Yelich was hurt during the playoffs like it's the biggest players don't aren't coming up in the biggest moments mm-hmm. yeah as, as opposed to like the NBA where you have you know Kawhi and you have LeBron and Steph and like I mean I don't yeah, think superstars that, always but... get the last shot. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. it'll be interesting to see sports coming back. I'm and excited. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully people don't freak out too much about this second wave because I think it's it just comes down to people need to be take personal accountability, personal yeah. responsibility, be smart about what they do. Don't go to bars. Don't be an idiot. Yeah, and, don't. And like, that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Because it's not as bad. The numbers aren't as bad as we initially thought. It's not this end of the world pandemic where 50% of the population is dying. Oof, that would suck. It's what it is, is it's a disease that, you know, affects a small proportion of people that are typically unhealthy and old to begin with. Yeah. And we have to treat it accordingly. Because if we, I just, I just see it as super detrimental if people start handling it like they did initially and locking down things. Especially, I think the biggest detriment was when they started locking down the parks and stuff. Yeah, letting people get outside because that not only is crushing people mentally because you need to be outside you need to be you know oh, yeah. doing something and if you're cooped up for too long you get stir crazy you're gonna you know feel those those effects but yeah. also just because that's the best way to combat it oh combat yeah the disease is you got to be a healthy individual you got to boost your immune system yeah Whether that be going outside and getting physical exercise or just taking a walk and getting the vitamin D from the sun, especially in the summer. Because I think yeah. vitamin D is like one of the, oh, yeah, the D. indicators whether you you know, suffer severe symptoms or not. It's yeah. really dependent on the vitamin D levels. So, yeah. I mean, I really hope that the politicians don't make the dumbass mistake again and 
do stupid. Well, I don't. Stupid. I don't think it was. I wouldn't call it a dumbass mistake at the beginning because they they did flatten the curve and it did help. But um, I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if arresting people for paddleboarding in the middle of the ocean. Oh, that's reasonable. that's stupid. I don't yeah. know if people getting arrested for hiking by themselves in a state park that's what hundred miles across is. Yeah. It, it's it's more so stuff like that. I understand if you're you got to limit people at the dog park where yeah there's larger congregations <laughs> of people. Yeah, I understand taking measures in playgrounds stuff like that. Oh yeah, but getting out into nature, come on. Yeah, you you hardly run into one person a day. Yeah, hiking true. on a nature trail, and even if you do see someone, it's not like you're going up and and hugging them. You're not yeah. high fiving. That's can my walk thing. Walk around like, them. When I'm running, I I blow by somebody in a millisecond. Like we're just exactly, yeah. So yeah, I hope. Yeah, and and I also think like people, you know, people when they're inside, like everybody was going crazy. Like I I felt like when I went to Connecticut, like time finally resumed. Like it felt you know like because I actually like had a couple of different places where I was scheduled to be somewhere, and I was like, oh, I uh, you know. I, yeah. I like it just it just felt like I hit unpause finally like that I was actually doing things and like Beck and I got a couple of we we like have had some some friends over on the roof and stuff and like now that we're doing things it feels like things have resumed again as opposed to just not leaving staying in every single day like you feel like I was losing it like it's, it takes its toll on you yeah and I mean <laughs> I, I didn't I got down here pretty quick, so I was being pretty active right away. But even in those first two or three weeks when I was still in Boston in the apartment, and I'd try to still try to get outside as, as much as I could. And this was before everything got shut down. But yeah. even just being cooped up working from home all day. Yeah. You know, it, it does take its effect. Yeah. Because people are not designed to be cooped up in an apartment stuck in boxes yeah you gotta you gotta go out and be i gotta go hiking again i gotta play golf i played golf three times last week oh really damn did you play well or yeah i played pretty well rust yeah i know i i i beat my grandmother she like (laughs) (laughs) yeah just you know casually beat my grandmother (laughs) (laughs) well no we're playing We're playing golf. And like, my, have you ever met my grandma? I don't know. She's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's. A, she, you know. I think she was there when you were getting sent off to China. Yeah, um, she's a nice lady, but she loves to. You know, she's like in classic grandmother doing something with your grandson fashion. Like, you know, it sort of stands to reason that she's still trying to instruct me and give me advice. Like, you know, that's like what what you're used to as like a grandparent to like your young grandkid. Like, I get that, but. She was like flex on her a little bit. Well, she was like, she was telling me how to play, you know, she was like telling me how to play golf. And the thing is, is, you know, she's 75 years old teeing off from the reds and I'm teeing off from the whites. And I'm like, grandma, like we're not, it's not the same, you know, she's not playing the same game right now. Yeah. I'm like, she's like, you got to hit it really slow. You got to swing the club slow. I'm like, grandma, like that's, that's like, I have to hit my, you know, I have a 300 yard hole right now. Like if I swing the club really slow, like, yes, I'll connect with the ball and maybe it won't slice, but it's also just going to get to the next tee box. Like that doesn't, that's not going to do me any good. I'm like, and so she, but she, she kept like, and then one time, one hole, I actually like told her to, I, I got a little annoyed. Cause she was like, don't, 
don't hit it over the green. You don't want to hit it over the green. And like, I totally let her get in my head. It was just like a chip. And I just like tapped it like four feet in front of me. It was like a 30 yard chip. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Grammy, you got to stop talking. I'm like, you just got to let me play. Um, and then, and then like the next time we went out, I, we played and she was like, she's still giving me advice or whatever. And I kind of just started ignoring it. She's like, there was one hole. She's like, Oh, don't swing too hard with your, with your pitching wedge. And I'm like, Okay, Graham, I won't swing too hard with my pitching wedge. I line up, I clobber it, I tag the green. I'm like, eh, you know, I hit like my pitching wedge like 130 yards or whatever. I'm like, didn't swing too hard. She's like, well, can't do that. I'm like, she's like, you can't do that every time. I'm like, well, I did it this time and it worked. So <laughs> I'm like, the idea is that eventually I'll get good enough to do it every time. Like, and then I, and then I ended up beating her by one stroke. I think I shot a 53 and she shot 54. I was like, what now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Too funny. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I've got, I haven't played since we played. So I'm probably oh, yeah. going to try to get out with James or Nick this weekend. I told TJ we should like later in the summer, early fall or something, we should like go and like, you know, make a plan to go to South Carolina or go somewhere and like play just like oh, two yeah. or three days in a row. Just like, sure. just play like three or four rounds. Like, just yeah, for that, fun. Yeah, like I played in this, like in August or something. Yeah, because I played because, with TJ last week. Oh, nice. Yeah, we because played at the, the, place. the prices stay low. Yeah, that's good. So, oh, because they're because they go low in the summer, don't they? They go really low in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. They go like they go like seventy percent off. Yeah. Wow. Because nobody likes playing in the heat. Yeah, yeah. Pick like three or four courses, or like, or like one course, because it's sometimes fun to like. Yeah, we'll go to the good one. We'll go to the one we went to last year. That one was a lot of fun. Yeah, and just like, and also, I don't know. I noticed like when, like by the third day last week, like when I was playing with TJ, that was the third day. I was playing like my best golf of my life. Like, just if you play like three times in a week, like you'll feel like I don't know. I was able to feel myself get better. Like. Yeah, definitely. A, the consistency is the key to it. So. Yeah. Yeah, you can hit better. So, yeah, I want to do that. It'd be fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah. Anyway, well, I think that's a good wrapping up point. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll play this weekend and I'll report back. I'm yeah. probably going to be Garbaccio, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. And playing I, I with, play playing with Nick and James is always a, a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're very good, good right? compared to them. <laughs> Yeah. All, All right. right. I'll catch you later, amigo. All right. Sounds good. See you later. Adios.